I pray that we have a, a message that will bring a blessing to you. Psalms 119 verses 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The title of my sermon is From Darkness to Light. And my main text will be from Genesis chapter 1. Everything in Scripture pictures Christ. The Scripture's purpose is to teach us of Christ. On the road to Emmaus, Christ taught two of his disciples that he was walking with about himself from the Old Testament. In my estimation, this is probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached, even though I never heard it. Someday I will. When Jesus left those disciples, those two disciples discussed between themselves how what he preached to them burned within them. Jesus told the Pharisees that Moses spoke of him and that Abraham saw his day and was glad. And Job said in the old book, the oldest book in the Bible, in Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, he said this, Job 19, 25 through 27, one of the most amazing portions of scripture in the Bible. He said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and we know that our Redeemer is Christ. And even then, Job was talking about Christ. And this is before Moses was even born. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job knew that Christ would be here on earth. His Redeemer would stand on this earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job knew that our Lord would stand on the earth, and even though his body would rot in the ground, he would, in his new body, see the Lord standing on the earth with his own eyes. Psalm chapter 40, verse 7 says, The volume of the book, it is written of me. Those are the words of Christ written in the Psalms. And this particular verse was quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. This is indeed a hymn book, H-I-M book. It is about him from cover to cover. In Genesis chapter 1, we see our Lord's creative work, but we see more than that. We see his redemptive work. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. Everything begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
The Hebrew word for created is bara. It is spelled with three Hebrew letters, a bet, a resh, and an aleph. The first two letters spell sun, and the last letter is the letter of power, the aleph, sometimes referred to as the God letter. But our creator, which is what the word bara means, create, to create out of nothing, our creator is the son of God. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void. A more strict word-for-word translation might be, the earth became formless and void. The word was is the word hayah in Hebrew, and it means to happen, to come into being, or to occur. The words formless and void are the Hebrew words tohu wabohu. These words occur together only three times in scripture and they occur as a result of judgment. And we see that in Isaiah and Ezekiel. In Isaiah chapter 34 verse 11, tohu is translated confusion and bohu is translated emptiness. This tohu and bohu in Isaiah 34 verse 11 or confusion and emptiness is a result of God's wrath on Edom because of the treatment of Zion. The other time these two words are used together are in a passage in Jeremiah chapter 4 verses 23 through 26. You can look at Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 through 26. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 says, I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light. Verse 24, I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled and all the hills moved lightly. Verse 23 seems to mirror Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And it seems to be referring to a time when earth, that the earth became without form and void. And in verse 23, it says, It was without form and void, and the heavens had no light. So when was it the earth had no light? It was before Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, Let there be light. Verse 24 said, I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. Verse 25, I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. So when was it when there was no man? It was before God said, let us make man. Verse 26 says, I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, And all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. Verse 26 speaks of the fruitful place. This is a specific place. We know that because it doesn't say the fruitful places. It says the fruitful place. It wasn't just any fruitful place. I can't imagine a more fruitful place than the Garden of Eden. 
This fruitful place was a wilderness, and we see that it was made so, as the verse says, at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. This is a time of judgment. Isaiah 45:18 says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. The word vain here is the word tohu. God did not create the earth to be without form, but to be inhabited. So we look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 through 15. Ezekiel 28. Verse 13 says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. A cherub is the highest ranking of angels. And the cherub that covereth is the cherub over all the angels. And I have set thee so. God put him there. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. It appears as though Satan was there before Adam and Eve were in the garden with every beautiful and precious stone as his adornment. And he was on the holy mountain of God. We know that this was before Adam and Eve because Satan had fallen by the time Adam and Eve came along. Satan, the cherub that covereth, was on top of the world, so to speak. And when he fell, God brought him down and created Adam to rule the earth. Satan, I am sure, was not happy about that. Satan plotted to get his dominion over the earth back and succeeded when Adam fell. That is why Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. It used to be confusing to me when I read in Matthew chapter 4 verse 9 how that Satan said to Jesus he would give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus if Jesus would bow to him because I already knew that Christ created him. He is the creator and owner of this world. But Christ did not correct him. Satan's offer would have been of no use if there wasn't some validity to it. If I told you I would sell you the deed to Windsor Castle, you wouldn't bite because you know that's ridiculous. You know that's a ridiculous offer. But Satan's offer must have had some validity or Satan would not have made that offer. Satan was offering Christ a shortcut around the cross. And if you don't think that was a temptation, then you must not be aware that Christ three times pleaded to the Father, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Satan rules the governments of this world in the highest echelons of this world. So the earth became formless and void after the fall of Satan, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. This earth that had been left in darkness and in waste when Satan fell was now being brooded over by the Spirit of God. And in verse 3, God says, Let there be light. And there was light. Before God created the sun, he created light. I don't know what it emanated from, but God said it, and there it was. Verse 4 says, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Notice that God did not say the morning and the evening. He said the evening and the morning. God's days start with the darkness. The Hebrew day starts with the sun going down on one day and starting another. Passover started on Nisan the 14th of the Jewish calendar, which was a Sabbath on the first Passover, but that Sabbath started on the Egyptian Friday the 13th the day that the Egyptians lost the firstborn child of every household. That's probably how Friday the 13th came to be a bad luck day. You may recall that every household that did not have the blood painted on the doorpost had the death of the firstborn occur in the house. The payment for the penalty of sin is the firstborn. It is instructive to note that the life or death of the firstborn was determined by the blood. If the blood was on the doorpost, then the firstborn was saved. If it wasn't, the firstborn died, whether the firstborn of the house was an Egyptian or a Hebrew. The salvation was determined by the blood, not the nationality of the firstborn. We are not saved because of anything but the blood of Christ. And the evidence of the blood being applied is our faith. The evidence of faith during that first Passover was the blood. Everything in Scripture points us to Christ. The death of the firstborn of those Egyptians did not make sufficient payment for any sin, but it pictured the payment of sin that was to come in the firstborn of the saints which is Christ our Lord, the Lamb of God, which was pictured in the blood on the doorpost of the Hebrews. Each of the six days of creation starts with darkness. Darkness is confusion. In fact, the Hebrew word for evening is Ereb, and it comes from a root word that means mixed. And the word for morning is boker, which is from a root meaning order or control. And each day ends with the sun going down. Each day of creation, God brings creation from less order to greater order 
And after Adam fell, that process began to reverse itself. God in the salvation of earth pictures the salvation of man. The confusion of darkness is brought to order and peace of the light. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In each day of creation, God takes creation into a state of less entropy or less disorder. Each day of creation brought the earth to greater order. After the sin of Adam, this process begins to reverse and entropy or confusion and disorder begins to increase. The peace that Adam once knew when he fell, it was shattered. Darkness in scripture is more than just absence of light. It is palpable evil. You can feel it in your soul and it is a deadly poison to our spirits. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And darkness pictures spiritual death. The only way to bring order and peace back into the heart of man is by the power of God. This is how creation pictures the work of God. He takes the disorder of sin and shines the light of Jesus Christ on us and takes us from confusion and disorder to order and peace. And on the seventh day, God rested. This doesn't mean he got tired and had to take a break. This just simply means he was finished with his creation and ceased from his work. This Sabbath day pictures Christ, who said on the cross, it is finished. In Christ is where we find rest. The work is finished. It is in him. It is in him that we can cease from our labor. We can quit trying to please God and actually please God through the blood of Christ that was shed for us. The work is finished. Our labor for God is no more labor, but joy. We don't have to worry if we have done enough. We simply take joy and peace in our labor for Christ. Christ said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have no need for worry. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be careful for nothing. And that word careful is the word anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Rest in Christ who is our Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to picture him. So let's look at what Christ said in Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. And Christ says this, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, 
Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or whither all shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Don't get caught up in the things of this earth, but take joy in seeking the things of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If God can take care of the birds and make flowers beautiful, he can surely take care of his most precious possession, which is you, whom he died for. When we rest in him, we are free to joyfully serve him without worry. Fear and anxiety are the opposite of faith. But don't try to muster up faith in yourself. Seek God to give you faith when you need it. Ephesians chapter, chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that faith is a gift of God. Even in persecution, the apostles rejoiced. We can look at Acts chapter 5 verse 40 through 20. How the apostles reacted to persecution. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Not only were they rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ, but they were encouraged to do it more. Verse 42 says, They taught daily in the temple and in every house. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The worst they can do in this world is take the body. The body that Paul referred to as this body of death. Paul said to die is Christ. Worry comes when we take our eyes off Christ and start looking to ourselves or the world for answers. This world is not our home. We are only passing through. This gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the only thing worth living in this world for. And as Charles Spurgeon preached, it is a gospel worth dying for.
So when you start worrying, you know it is time to start praying for God to bring his peace back to you. You know it is time to start drawing close to your Lord. The Lord that David said was his present help in a time of trouble. Not a help that is to come eventually, but a present help. A help that is here now. Hebrew chapter 13 verse 5 references many Old Testament passages when the writer of Hebrews says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Our Lord's very name is Faithful. And we love that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Lord unto me he is a present help in time of trouble and you can rely on him because he is faithful. And as Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We are the called because we are a specific group of people. And as verse 30 of Romans 8 says, he predestined us, he called us, and he justified us. He did it all. We just rest in him. He takes the chaos and confusion and brings order and peace to our souls. He brings life to our spirits by the word and the spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. Christ is our rest. He is our Sabbath. He is the only place where true and complete peace and rest reside. It resides in him and him alone because it is he that takes our guilt away. None other can do that. We don't usually worship together on the Sabbath. The Sabbath pictures Christ. He is our Sabbath and he has fulfilled our rest. Ever since Christ rose on the first day of the week, the church has been worshiping on Sunday. It's not a law that we do that. We aren't in bondage to a written law of cold dead letters. God has written the law in our heart and his law is not grievous to us. As David said in the Psalms, God's law is a delight to us. We are servants to the one true and living God. We serve from a living, loving heart given to us by God. Christ said the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath. When we come together in celebration of Christ on Sunday to commemorate his resurrection, not in obedience to law, but out of love for our Savior and each other. Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 say, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or by the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And what it means by the body is of Christ is that Christ is the substance of our life. He is what gives us life and it is for him we live.
Sunday was the day our Lord rose from the grave, and God's stamp of approval was put on Christ's work on the cross. It was the day our salvation was officially sealed with the seal of God's approval. Before the resurrection, Sunday was just like any other day to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It wasn't recognized as being special in any way. But since the resurrection, Sunday has never again been seen the same. And if we celebrate God as creator on the Sabbath, we should certainly celebrate the resurrection by memorializing it on Sunday, the day of the week in which it occurred. If we celebrate God as creator, we should certainly celebrate him as savior. The first Sunday service was the day of the resurrection as given in Matthew 28 verse 9 when Mary, the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene were told by an angel that Jesus had risen. And on their way to tell the disciples the news, they saw Jesus and fell at his feet and worshipped him. The greatest sermon ever preached was preached on the first Sunday to the two of Christ's disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Christ preached from the Old Testament about himself. These disciples didn't even realize that it was Christ. They didn't realize it was him preaching until he broke bread in their home where they had invited him. When Christ disappeared, they got up and ran seven miles back to where they just came from to tell the apostles that he had risen. The apostles, I'm sure, were having a, tr a hard time believing it. But Christ appeared to them while they were there. And he said, Peace be unto you. They thought he was a ghost, and he had to show them the scars in his hands and feet and tell them to handle him. They give Doubting Thomas a hard time, but all the apostles had a hard time believing at first. But Thomas wasn't present at this time. The disciples of Christ were crushed by his death, and now he is with them again on the first Sunday of his resurrection. What a reason for celebration. Thomas wasn't present, but when Christ appeared to them, the very next Sunday, Thomas was with them. And Thomas had a hard time believing. But when Christ showed Thomas his scars, and Thomas, who had not believed before, cried out, My Lord and my God. There are many who try to dispute the deity of Christ. But Thomas knew that Christ was God. So that second Sunday after the resurrection, there was another worship service. And in Matthew 18, verse 20, Christ said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And our Lord is with us now. The church was born on Pentecost on the 50th day after the resurrection, or the 50th day, counting the day of the resurrection, which was also a Sunday. Though the work of the Holy Spirit through the work of the Holy Spirit, all heard the gospel in their native tongue, and 3,000 were born again in Christ. We don't have a New Testament directive to worship on Sunday, but what we do have is obvious. Two miraculously great days in the life of the church occur on Sunday. 
the day the salvation of believers was ratified by the resurrection of our beloved Lord from the grave and the birth of the church on Pentecost. Sunday is not commanded to be a day of rest and worship the way that the Sabbath was, but Sunday has become a very special day in the worship of our Lord. On the Sabbath, men remembered their Creator, and on Sunday, men remember the Savior. Sunday is not a day we come under law, but a day we celebrate our Redeemer and our redemption in Christ. Acts verse 20 verse 7 reads, On the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. These people were hungry for the word, and Paul was eager to preach it to them. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 reads, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That phrase for Sunday continues with us today. John didn't have to explain what the Lord's day meant because they all knew that Sunday was the Lord's day. John received the message of revelation on the Lord's day. Christ is our rest, our Sabbath, who we come to worship on the first day of the week because he rose from the dead, putting God's seal of approval on the work of the Son. It is he who takes the disorder and makes order. It is he who turns night into day and brings life to where death had once reigned. We were spiritually dead without hope, and in this world, in Christ, lived the perfect life for us on this earth as a man, and took our punishment on himself. And through the knowledge of the word and the work of the Spirit, he brings life to us, wretched sinners, whose best works are but filthy rags in God's sight. But when he sees us through the work of Christ, he doesn't see our filthiness. He sees Christ's perfect holiness. We are free from the bondage of sin, and we are made kings and priests in God's kingdom by God's adoption of us into his royal bloodline through Christ's work and payment for us. God did this for us because he loved us. He desires a relationship with us. It is unfathomable that God would want to have a relationship with me. But he does. And through the work of the Son of God, he will have that relationship. And we will sing his praises and glory forevermore. Praise and glory that are due him. And we will do it with a joyfulness that cannot even be imagined by us at this time. There is joy in our hearts now for our Lord and his work on our behalf, but our joy will be perfect in his presence for an eternity, an eternity that we have no ability to comprehend at this time. And that's my message.